The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, quit polishing your pogo stick and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan, announcing show number 539 with guest Charlie Kendall, recorded live Tuesday, March 23rd, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now... The man who hopes they don't call it the Styrofoam, Carl Franklin. Hey now, it's Carl and Richard. Yes, sir. We're here for another hour or so for your .NET listening pleasure. And uh, hey, man, you know, uh, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you know some of the Klingons were actually programmers. No. Yeah. How do you know? Well, I was reading the top 10 phrases spoken by a Klingon programmer. Uh-huh. Number one, a true Klingon warrior does not comment his code. Nice. <laughs> All right. Let's, I know how this is going to go now. Yeah. All right. Number two, by filing this bug report, you have challenged the honor of my family. Prepare to die. <laughs> <laughs> this is not agile programming. I'm serious. All right. Number three. You question the worthiness of my code? I should kill you where you stand. <laughs> Our competitors are without honor. That's a dumb one. There right, you number go. five. Specifications are for the weak and timid. <laughs> Man. Number six. This machine is gah. I need dual pendium processors if I'm to do battle with this code. Man, that's old school. That's that's an old joke right there. <laughs> You guys ought to get some newer jokes. Yeah, a little rusty. All right. Seven. Perhaps it is a good day to die. I say we ship it. (laughs) (laughs) Number eight. Our users will know fear and cower before our software. Ship it. Ship it and let them flee like the dogs they are. <laughs> All right, wait, wait. Number nine. My program has just dumped Stovacore. That's dumb. Stovacore. It's like the afterlife, right? Right. The Klingon afterlife. And I'm embarrassed to know that. All right, number 10. Behold the keyboard of Kalis, the greatest Klingon code warrior that ever lived. The keyboard of Kalis. That's just dumb. Nice. Sorry about that. I'm sorry I wasted your time. There you go. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, let's get into Better Know Framework. All right. All right, serious. Serious. Now, serious. What are you talking about? Uh, I'm talking about a little workflow. Oh, workflow WF4. A little whiff. WF4. This is, um, no, this is pretty much general whiff. Okay. System.activities.activity. Well, system.activities is where all the classes necessary to create and work with activities Mm-hmm. So allow you to define activities, define the data flow into and out of them, and define variables. And an activity is an abstract base class used to create uh, activities from pre-existing activity objects. And then there's all sorts of activity of T result, activity action, activity action of T, 
lots and lots and lots of overloads for to to take a number of generics and delegates. Just a lot of stuff there. Wow. Yeah. I'm not a I'm not a workflow expert, but uh if you want to dig in and figure out what the code does under the hood and, and figure out how to use it, that's probably a good place to start. System activities. Activities. Yeah. All right. All right. Who's talking to us, man? I've got an email about F-Sharp and the NASA Pathfinder Innovation Challenge. Hi, Carl and Richard. I am 23 years old and a .NET developer writing to you from Moldova. And I want to thank you for your work on .NET Rocks and DNR TV. They are awesome shows, and I've learned a lot in the past year or so of listening to these shows and Hansel Minutes. Yeah. It's always nice to be up to date with the latest news in the .NET framework. When I heard about F-Sharp finally entering Visual Studio 2010 as a primary language, I was very happy because it is another paradigm and yet another way of thinking about programming. Recently, I was reading some artificial intelligence documentation and wondering if F-Sharp could do a great job there. In other words, do you think F-Sharp is suitable for AI programming? Hmm. Probably not a good question for us. No, it's a it's an interesting thought though. I mean, it's you know, it's funny. The thing about artificial intelligence is, is it that's always research. As soon as we get something to work, it's not artificial intelligence anymore. Right. Right. Like artificial intelligence used to be like natural language stuff. Now that we got it working, it's not AI anymore. Uh, but you know, when you talk about, or you, so it really depends on what you mean by artificial intelligence. That whole fuzzy logic modeling, natural system stuff, you know, that's not Neural necessarily networks. language specific anyway. It's a set of libraries. Right. So I don't think that, that being said, F sharp has some interesting attributes when you start thinking in terms of functional programming that do lend themselves to the kind of constructs that people propose for AI. But. That's just me going off on a crazy tangent. I don't think the language is a key part of making AI work. But maybe we need to do some more AI-related shows to talk about that. Well, you could certainly, if you were a so, if you were so inclined, you could probably build a good neural network in F Sharp. Yeah, I don't know that F Sharp would make it any better. A neural network, in the end, requires a certain set of classes, and any language could speak to them. It does, but I mean the whole the whole processing tree of F Sharp and the way that functions lend themselves i think lends itself nicely to how neural networks are structured yeah i don't but, know i don't know i'm not the i'm not the expert something to chase around but he's not done yet also show 526 the nasa pathfinder innovation challenge help me try something new out in the last stage of the innovation challenge we're building automatic processes to discover craters and other objects from images one way of doing this was to build a neural network, which is something that they use in artificial intelligence, and trying to teach this network to discover the patterns of craters that they're looking for. After this, the network will learn these patterns and theoretically could find all the craters, volcanoes, and other unusual objects. I think it's worth a try and be great fun to work on a project with NASA. P.S. Maybe you could do a show on F-Sharp 2 and its role in Studio 2010 in general. Hmm. I think it would be great. And that's from Timir... And I'm going to take on your last name here, guy. Paparacini from Chinisau in Moldova. Wow. A, dude, we got to go to Moldova. Oh, I know. Yeah. I mean, just a, a really old school, a interesting place near uh, Rom between Romania and Ukraine. Ukraine. Like, yeah. how many folks are going to get there? Yeah, we almost find went there. We almost went there last time we were in Bulgaria. Yeah, because it's not that far. And we were talking about what do we do for a side trip just to have some fun. And we ended up in Poland, but Moldova is still on my list. Got to get to Moldova. Yep. And uh, we're also going to figure out how the heck to send a mug to Moldova. Because, Timur, you're getting a mug. And if you'd like a mug, send us an email. .net rocks at franklins.net. Hey, so we know that this is a long intro already, and we'll get to the interview in just a second. But real quick, we're going to be at the launch. We're uh, at the launch event in Vegas at the, the Dev Connections Microsoft launch yes. event, April 12th. And we want you to go, too, and we want to give you some uh, a discount. I think it's $50 off, Richard. Yep. If you go sign up at uh, Dev Connections or use the link uh, on, our website. on our website and enter the code DNR, you'll get 50 bucks off. And I hope to see you there. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll have some good fun. And after that, we're going on the road trip. And if you want to know more about the road trip, go to .netrocks.com slash road trip and learn all about it. 
Our guest today is Charlie Kindle. Charlie's responsible for the developer experience using Windows Phone 7 series, a role he is ideally suited for after over 30 years of building both developer and consumer-focused products. At Microsoft since 1990, Charlie has worked on a range of products from Windows NT, IIS, COM, Windows Media Center, to Windows Home Server. Passionate about just about anything that makes noise or having to do with moving electrons, Charlie is a father of two. <laughs> anything that makes noise. <laughs> and lives in Bellevue, Washington. You can follow him on Twitter at C-K-I-N-D-E-L. Welcome, Charlie. I'm glad to be here. Boy, we're glad to have you. Windows 7 phone. Yeah. Look out world. Yeah, I was at Mix. I think every single room overflowed. You stole the show. Uh, yeah, we, we were pretty happy with the, with the whole environment and the results. So big news, Silverlight on a phone. Yeah, it's actually, it's, you know, it's Silverlight and XNA. We think that the combination of those two uh, technology bases allows, uh, you know, for a wide range of applications and games. Um, we're pretty serious about the gaming side of things as well. So Xbox-type games, how, uh, how, is that, how, does, how does that experience work? I mean, you can't just take a game for the Xbox and move it onto the phone, can you? Is it that easy? Well, if the game was written for the Xbox using XNA technology, um, actually, it is that easy. Um, you know, there's obviously the, the the strategy that we have isn't isn't a write once run anywhere strategy. It's a more of a write once optimize on each of the the screen strategy. What that means is that you can take the vast majority of your game code, game logic, content, and move it to to the Windows, uh, the P, the Xbox, as well as the phone. Um, and have you know those rich, uh, you know high definition, three dimensional um, games. Did you guys see the um, the demos we did at Mix? Oh yeah, yeah. You know I recommend that people go and go to the uh, Visit Mix website, or they can go to you know the Windows Phone Seven Series Developer Blog, where we've got links to all the the presentations. But the the keynote demos of the first day keynote from Mix, you know, shows off a couple really great. Um, games running on the phone, including the game we worked with a partner on called The Harvest, um, that really shows off the platform well. Well, we also saw that this idea of building games that ran on your Xbox and ran on the phone and, and, and each had a contributing role to playing the game. I think it's a different concept of of a game that some stuff you do in the mobile side and some stuff you do in front of your television. Right. What we're focused on um, you know, in this time frame is really allowing developers to to take the technology that they have in their games and support that on on the three screens. Uh, we think that that in in this time frame the the idea of you know asynchronous multiplayer uh, type gameplay is going to be um, really attractive, and we've done a bunch of stuff with Xbox Live support in the platform to support that. Um, so you can imagine the the game that that uh, allows you know you to, you to start a plan on uh, with, with a friend on your phone and someone else on their phone can can do their turn next and so forth. I I do have a question about the the Silverlight capabilities. I mean, we're not there is an OS here underlying that uses Silverlight, right? And we can't just completely replace the entire UI of the phone, can we? No, the, the the you know with Windows Phone Seven Series, we you know we we really stepped up our game in terms of building integrated experiences for the consumer on the phone, and so we have a bunch of built-in experiences that start with the the start screen, uh, the the uh, built-in experiences such as the the gaming hub, the the people hub, and so forth, and we think those are all part of the authentic. Windows Phone 7 Series user experience that we're delivering as a core value proposition in the product. And, um, you know, in this time frame, developers um, can build new applications um, and, and new experiences on the phone that augment those. Um, but um, unlike prior releases of, of Windows Mobile, um, we don't allow developers to replace the shell and, um, and the start experience. Right. And, and in terms of applications... Um, is there an easy way for developers to get their apps on the phone without going? I mean, I know that on the iPhone you've got a um, pretty controlled process for getting apps through the App Store, only through iTunes. I mean, what's that experience like for developers? 
Yeah, you know, for Windows Phone 7 Series, what we've done is enabled a um, uh, a, a service-based application deployment system that's part of the platform, um, and that's the way applications get delivered to the phone. So they always applications for end users will always go through the service. Um, and in this release, that is a marketplace-based service um, where uh, users will be able to, you know, to browse applications on their device in a marketplace experience. They'll also be able to do it. Um, uh, you know, via the software that runs on the PC, um, and those applications are delivered via the service to the phone. Um, applications will require, we do require the applications get certified, um, and um, they're, they're licensed um, via um, a, an ingestion process that we provide to developers on the developer portal. And um, as a result of that, uh, yes, there is a certification process. One thing that I want to make clear, though, is that what we've we've invested heavily in making sure that certification process is as friction-free, transparent, um, and uh, easy to use for developers as possible. Um, we really have a trade-off, a balance we have to we have to meet there between ensuring a phenomenal end-user experience and kind of being able to guarantee that that phones always work in a very predictable, safe way, but also making it easy for developers. Um, to you know, get their apps to users um, in a you know in a in a really uh, broad way. So, what does that look like? Is it a, something built into Visual Studio, or is it a separate website we have to go through? Or yeah, it it is actually really tied in with the development tools. We 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 can talk a little bit more about the the tools that we released in, in CTP form right now. Um, we have not enabled the ingestion process um, in the current CTP, but. Basically, it will be a seamless model. You'll be able to go directly from either Visual Studio or Blend, generate your application, or XNA Game Studio, um, generate your application, and um, uh, using the dev portal, uh, be able to submit your application, uh, watch its process through the, its progress through the process, um, and then also be able to get analytics at the end to see you know how it's doing, do updates, and all of those things. You know, for a lot of the details on that, we had a full session at Mix. Um, where we talked about uh, the details of that, and I'd encourage people to to spend the the hour watching that specific section. So you talked about XNA and Silverlight. Would you be using these things together, or is it really one or the other? What we've done is we've actually brought them very closely together in this release. Um, the vast majority of the infrastructure type of frameworks um, that you would expect to use from either, we've made available from either. Uh, a perfect example of this is uh, Silverlight does, uh, in, in the Silverlight 3 timeframe, which is what we're mostly based on for Windows Phone, um, doesn't have audio input. It doesn't have the ability to take input from a microphone. And uh, XNA has always had that capability. And so what we've done is we've plumbed that through so those those frameworks and classes are available to both applications. That's just one example. Um, so, you know, the vast majority of the things you care about as a developer are available from either. Um, but we do have two UI models um, that as a developer you'll have to, you know, you'll have to pick and, and kind of walk through one of the two doors. Um, and the first one is the, the XNA style of programming, which is really a game loop uh, programming model um, where you're also using the XNA content pipeline. Um, and then the other model is the, you know, the, the, the very familiar uh, Silverlight-based XAML markup-based event-driven programming model. And in this release, we don't allow you to mix those two UI metaphors together. Right. Um, that's definitely something we want to do over time um, and we're investing in. But in this release, um, you basically you start your project and you say, I'm either going to build an XNA-flavored application or game or a Silverlight-flavored application or game. And this is this is largely a UI style decision. Then it's are you working within the the Silverlight framework or are you going down? I always think of XNA as closer to the metal. Is that a fair characterization? No, I don't. I don't think that's actually the right way to think about it. I think the right way to think about it is if you are a traditional game developer and you're comfortable with a loop based model because you're building a highly interactive or three D game, right? You're going to pick the XNA flavor. If, however, you're building a game or an application that is um, that is uh, less highly interactive and doesn't require 3D, yeah. you're probably going to want to pick Silverlight as your as your flavor of application. And and what's the advantage I'm getting from Silverlight here? Is it is it quicker to develop in? 
Yeah, some of the things that you get from the Silverlight flavored is you is you get um, uh, the controls and the um, the look and feel of the Windows Phone 7 Series design system. Um, we have this thing we codenamed Metro, which is the look and feel of the phone. Right. If you choose the Silverlight path, you know, kind of for free, we give you theming support and controls that work, you know, inconsistently like the rest of the phone. Um, and you get, you know, kind of the ability to get that just kind of automagically. We've released a version of Expression Blend that's targeted specifically at Windows Phone development um, that is now free, by the way, which is one of the big pieces of news we, we dropped at, at the Mix conference is that we now have a free version of Expression Blend for Windows Phone development. Um, and, and that... If you're familiar with with Expression Blend, and a lot of people are, it's an extremely powerful and rich tool for building you know, highly beautiful, interactive, compelling applications. And that full power accrues to developers building Silverlight flavored applications. On the other side, there's some real advantages to game developers building XNA flavored games. Um, XNA Game Studio provides a content pipeline for uh, content-rich games where you have a lot of, um, you know, media such as audio and sprites and, and so forth. Um, and it provides a very powerful pipeline for managing that content, which is, you know, for, for a lot of games, content is king. Um, and, and, and that's one of the advantages you get, and, and it will help your decision matrix in whether you're going to use um, Silverlight or XNA. Now, the other big angle, I think, from Silverlight perspective, and I don't know that there's been a lot of conversation around this yet, is the the enterprise phone developer, the guy who's got a Silverlight app, a line of business app already out in the field and wants to include the the phone screen as part of his app. Absolutely. We like to say, and, and um, you know, one of the things we talked about at Mix is that um, you know all those uh, Silverlight developers that already exist in the world today Literally overnight, we have made them Windows Phone developers. Yeah, we um, like that. And, and you know, I, we have a lot of examples of existing Silverlight um, 3 or even Silverlight 4-based applications that with, with nothing more than some theming changes and changes to the target screen resolution, um, uh, you know, were ported to the phone in a matter of minutes. Um, my favorite example for those uh, listeners who are familiar with Expression Blend is there's a sample included with ex- with Expression Blend uh, called Beehive, um, and it's and it's a, a sample that the Blend team built to to demonstrate. Um, primarily demonstrate behaviors within Blend. You guys are familiar with behaviors, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, very powerful programming construct within Silverlight and, and Blend. And the Beehive game is a it's a very interactive 2D um, uh, brick breaker type of game. Um, and it's, it's attractive, and it's actually kind of fun to play. It has multiple levels um, within this sample. Um, and last... Um, spring, when we first got the the phone up and running, and we had the runtime uh, kind of limping along, um, one of the first things I did personally was uh, fire up Blend, take that Beehive project within Blend, and literally all I did was change the XAML so that um, it fit on an 800 by 480 display. Um, it was previously nice. coded to work within the web browser. Um, I didn't change any code. I moved a couple graphical things around so they would fit correctly. Um, probably spent 30 minutes on it. And that zap file that Blend created ran, and we still run that zap file on Windows Phone um, in demos uh, today. It's the beauty of XML. Really? It's the beauty of XAML and Silverlight and the power of the, of, of the .NET technologies. Well, and it just lends it lends ourselves to this, you know, ongoing. You know, we're finally seeing the rewards for breaking from GDI thirty two of the yep. Zam- the XAML approach to just tell me what screen I got, I'll work out the rest. It is, and and I like to think about how we 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 want to you know more and more accrue technology investments over time, um, and and accrue value in the platform. And I think you know if if, if I'm the most proud of anything with what we've done so far, and first of all, I have to say we're not done yet. We have a ways to go to get over the finish line. Um, but one of the things that I'm the most proud of is the way that we've, we've really, um, you know, brought um, existing uh, technology bases forward um, and, and you know, really built on the shoulders of giants with, with Windows Phone 7 series. Um, you know, we didn't go and fork the Silverlight code base to build this product. The Silverlight team within DevDiv built the runtime 
with in conjunction with us. And over time, we will have one code base. Right. Um, you know, between the the desktop, between Windows Phone, and eventually we'll also support this on the Xbox 360. So on the phone itself, we have the compact framework, and do we have a subset of the Silverlight API, or is it so the, the full? Way, the way that you should think about this is as a developer for this release of the phone, it is Silverlight 3 plus some phone-specific things. Okay. And some of those phone-specific things are actually were things that were brought back from Silverlight 4. Um, we don't think about Compact Framework as being a separate entity anymore. And really, um, we, what we've done is we've abstracted things away so that developers really shouldn't think about the differences between the Compact Framework and the Core CLR on the desktop. Um, they should just focus on the surface area exposed by Silverlight and XNA. So, yeah, you don't talk to the Compact Framework directly. It's it's through the Silverlight APIs. That's correct. But you're writing code, and that code, you know, you're using namespaces in the CLR. Some of those aren't there in the Compact Framework. Um, what we've done with this with this release is we've made sure that, that what we've exposed is a superset of Silverlight 3. Okay. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik whose RAD controls outperform all others. Are you experiencing performance hits when handling millions of records with your Silverlight grid? Have you been frustrated by the amount of XAML code it takes to create a control template? There are so many potential bottlenecks that can drag your app performance. And of course, there's no universal solution for them. The good news is the guys from Telerik understand the complexity of that problem. When building RAD controls for Silverlight, they isolate every probable source of performance loss. Then they apply a respective solution. Through UI and data virtualization, data sampling, and content recycling, RAD controls help you deliver unbeatable performance with your Silverlight apps. You can check out Telerik Silverlight Grid handling 50 million cells as a piece of cake or RAD chart working seamlessly with a million records. Just go to Telerik.com slash Silverlight slash performance for details. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. They truly make this show possible. So if you know how to code in Silverlight 3, if you've got a Silverlight 3 app, anything that will run in Silverlight 3 will run on the phone. All right. That's good. That's good to know. And um, I guess uh, I guess the, the question, yeah, Richard and I were sort of talking about the specs of the phone. What What is the, what is the hardware side of this? Is it um, a phone manufactured by Microsoft? Is it a bunch of different kinds of phones? What, what's the hardware story? Well, what we've done is, um, and this is another one of the major changes we've made from from prior uh, investments in the phone space at Microsoft. Um, we have invested heavily in, um, in. Well, let me let me phrase it this way: we have two or three goals that have some tension with each other. They're they're in tension. On one side, we have a desire that that um, is all about end users, and end users wanting. Um, um, customization and personalization. They want their own hardware that's unique from other hardware, um, and they want different differentiation in hardware. So that's the first kind of goal. The second goal is end users um, want consistency. If um, you look over the shoulder of your buddy and he's using an app on his phone, and you have a Windows phone as well, you reasonably expect that application is going to work on your phone. Right. Um, and, and, and that's an end user belief or benefit that, that end users have. And then there's a, a another goal, which is a, comes from the developer perspective, which is developers, what we hear from developers is they don't want to have to test their applications or games on every single variant of hardware that's out there. They want as large a target as possible. They, they want it to be as homogenous as possible. Right. And so what we've done is we've worked on a, on a system that gives us a very strong balance across all three of those um, goals. And so what we've come down on is we have, a, we have a, a, a single hardware design that we've worked with our device manufacturers to define. Um, and this single hardware design gives the largest possible target for developers. We couple that with this Silverlight and XNA strategy for around managed code and a level of abstraction away from the hardware. Um, and then we've given our, our device manufacturers some flexibility 
in that hardware design where they can do customization. So, for example, they can build a phone that has a keyboard or not. Um, and we've shown examples of phones that have keyboards or not. But we've limited that so that the things that they, they can they can modify and change don't impact the developer experience, with one exception. The one place where we have been explicit about uh, variations in the hardware um, is two screen sizes. There will be um, 800 by 480, um, and that will come first. And then shortly after that, we'll release a 320 by um, 480 display, um, which uh, um, developers will also have to support. And we think that that amount of flexibility gives end users great choice. And while it adds some burden on the developer's shoulders of having to know that their apps or games are going to have to support those two screen resolutions, um, it's tractable and uh, and it won't go beyond that. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the balancing act here, of course, obviously, is that, you know, people want a unique phone. And I think vendors want to be able to do some things, you know, innovate in the phone space. But it, it, I almost wonder if in the old phones, we had too many phones. That you exactly. know, There were so many variations here. Yeah. And I'm wondering how much we've confined these guys now. Like how many different phones under the new platform requirements can there really be made? And and really, there's very few compared to the, the prior world. Where it's it, there will be some some variation that will will drive end user excitement, but it's a much more controlled ecosystem than we had before. Um, we've heard loud and clear both from developers and end users that um, the the uh, um, the the world that we had before it was way too complicated. You know, I I. Um, tell a story of uh, recently I was talking with developers um, uh, about their experiences on other platforms as well as on, on Windows Mobile of old. And um, they told, one of these developers told me a story of um, they're now entirely focused on, on one of the comp competitors' platforms. And they were expressing their angst with, with that platform. Um, and they told a story about the fact that they have a drawer that is that is full of every model of phone that's available on that platform, and you know it's 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 up in the the thirty or forty phones right now. Wow! And they call that drawer the drawer of broken dreams, <laughs> um, because you know the, the, it's it's just killing them from a support perspective that they right. have to support that many. Um, and so we hear that loud and clear, and we're committed to um, a much more homogenous ecosystem. So uh, I see on Engadget, LG. It's got the one of the first ones. What we've shown so far is, is a phone is the prototype phone that we use internally for development, uh, which was uh, uh, we worked with ASUS on. Um, we've also shown the LG phone, which is a a slider with a you know horizontal slider with a keyboard, right. and we've also shown prototypes of a Samsung device, which is a more of a traditional slab device. Okay, cool. And I got to think there's more out there. That would be good. Thing. You have any idea of when these will be hitting the uh, marketplace? Yeah, what we've announced is that uh, the the phones will be available for consumer purchase for the holiday uh, of this year. Which holiday? You know, late in the in the uh, um, calendar year of 2010. That's fair. Okay, very good. It's, a, it's always a question of yeah, uh, holidays get funny towards fall, you know the latter half of the year. Which holiday are we talking about? Right, and, and of course, there's you know I don't mean you know Fourth of July. Yeah, it's really been a while <laughs> since I've done any kind of phone development or, you know, iPack development as we used to use the iPack for the thing. But uh, I suppose there's a nice little emulator in Visual Studio yeah, that'll so, ship. You know, here's what I want. I'm going to challenge you guys to do this. As soon as we're off the off of this call, go to developer.windowsphone.com, click on the button that says download the tools, download it's a it's a three megabyte uh, starter download. Um, it'll download uh, the special version of Visual Studio 2010 that includes the emulator and XNA Game Studio. It'll take you on a typical PC maybe 15 minutes max to download and install. Um, do file new project. Select one of the projects that we provide as a starter project. Um, change a couple text items in the in the design surface you'll see there that looks just like the phone. Hit F5, and um, your first application will be up and running um, within a couple minutes um, on the emulator. 
Um, the emulator that we provide is actually uh, runs um, a full version of the phone operating system compiled for x86, run huh. within a virtualized environment on your PC. Nice. And the, one of the cool things about this is you get we get you know great performance because we're not, we're not emulating the ARM instruction set. We're, we're doing virtualization, um, but we also have done some kind of cool things. Um, we use 3D acceleration on your PC. So we, if you, you know, if you have a, you know, DirectX 11 WDDM 1.1 driver, um, you'll get 3D acceleration um, um, in the emulator. If you're running a Windows 7 PC that supports multi-touch, you'll be able to use multi-touch within the emulator as well. So wow. if, if you've got a multi-touch computer, the multi-touch will just work in the emulator. Which really means you have a multi-touch screen. So any touch smart, any of those products would work. Exactly. So I have I actually have on my desk right here an HP uh, uh, touch smart TM2 um, laptop. Um, and you know, I, I literally just installed the tools that I just described. I did this yesterday actually. Um, just described the tools um, as I described. And I just I'm taking this laptop with me on a trip to Europe to do a bunch of demos and it worked the first time. Um, so if you have real hardware, which nobody outside of Microsoft really does yet, um, the, the, the tools also support that same F5, you know, to run and debug experience to real hardware as well. Um, and it works exactly the same. I guess one of the battles that folks have had in the past, and I'm not just picking on the Windows mobile platform, I think other mobile platforms have had this as well, is that the emulator does not reflect the reality of the phone, that you have too much memory, too much horsepower, too, things work great in the emulator, and then when you actually put it in the phone, you can't use it. You, you, yeah, it's a, and, and it, it goes both ways. In some cases, um, it, these emulator strategies are burdened by things like, like emulation of, of processors. Right. Um, or they're, 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 you know, too highly strung. And there's an interesting balance there. We do know at the end of the day, for a large number of applications, developers are going to want to test them on real devices. Absolutely. Um, but for a large number of, of, of applications as well, They'll work very well. If they work well in the emulator, they'll work on the phone. Um, and we have a lot of tweaking to do, like, and, and we're not done yet either. I'll, I'll just, to, you know, to be very transparent, the, the CTP of the emulator that's available now, you know, doesn't support emulating of the camera or even the accelerator, accelerometer. Um, and so there's no way to, you know, to test those types of things in this release. Um, it does support rotation um, and and things like that, but we have a ways to go to, to to finish all of those features. So, what about the Zune phone that we heard so much about? You know, buzz about. Is there any Zune technology or features in here? Well, Windows Phone Seven series is a Zune phone. I mean, it it includes all of the Zune service, um, and that Zune service will be available in all of the markets that we're selling the phone in. And, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the ability that, to access your music collection, your video collection, the full Zoom marketplace is all one of the integrated experiences that we've included in Windows Phone 7 series. Is there any uh, limit to the size of the, you know, the, the memory? You know, it's going to be up to the device manufacturers. We have a, a minimum amount of memory that we require um, as part of the hardware specification, um, but, but, the device manufacturers and mobile operators will be able to exceed that um, and have, you know, in this time frame, I'm sure they'll have very plentiful storage capacities. Yeah. Okay. Nicely evaded. <laughs> I didn't but, really mean to be evasive on it. I, we just there's, there's just certain details that I we simply don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I we agree. We know how the the cost of memory is constantly changing, and it's one of those things that that uh, that we know from our our partners. They want to have flexibility in. So how about this then? Do you do you know what uh, say the LG and Samsung phones are going to have for memory? We have not announced that yet. No. Okay. And I think I you know in all reality I don't think that that anyone knows that. Yeah. Okay. Good enough. But it, I mean, what you're really saying is this is the Zune phone. Just don't call it that. Well, I guess I guess what I'm saying is I've always wanted a I've always wanted a device that had the the uh, slickness of, you know, an iPhone and the storage capacity of a Zune or an iPod. You know, um, yeah, 32 gigs just sometimes isn't enough. So, Sure. So, but, so, 
No, I, I, I bristle a little bit at, at, at calling it the Zoom phone because it's that's not being fair to the other integrated experiences oh, sure. we provided. So, for example, the, the gaming hub has full Xbox Live support in it, um, and it supports yeah. very rich 3D games um, that connect to the Xbox Live service. They support your gamer tag, um, your achievements, um, leaderboards, um, and, and social networking features from Xbox Live. Uh, we also have the Office uh, Hub, which provides a you know nice integrated experience for you know Word and PowerPoint, Excel, mm. and SharePoint access. Um, the People Hub o- offers uh, integrated experience for all of your people management, uh, uh, aggregating your contacts from Facebook as well as your your Outlook contacts if you're on Exchange or uh, Gmail. The, the calendar supports calendaring functionality from, from multiple stores simultaneously as well. So all of those things add up to a bunch of integrated experience, and okay. it really would be fair. No, sure. It's got all the Zune plus Xbox plus the phone, everything, yeah. What, um, is it a multi-threaded? Does it multitask? So the, the, the operating system absolutely is a you know, fully modern, uh, multitasking, multi-threaded operating system. It's based on Windows CE, um, and um, you know, it's, it's very, very powerful. Um, what we've done in this release um, for third-party applications is we've restricted those third-party applications so that when they're not running in the foreground, they're paused. Yeah. Um, and, and they will, you know, based on, on memory consumption and so forth, they, they, they may be um, flushed out of memory. And we've done this um, for a couple reasons. The first is that we actually have a bunch of the built-in experiences fully support the type of background uh, processing that, that end users really care about. So, for example, if you're listening to music um, and a phone call comes in, um, you can pause that music or you continue to listen to it. If you're listening to music and you want to run an application, you can run that application and the music will continue to play in the background. Nice. Um, you can read email and so forth. Email downloads in the background. Um, uh, we've also provided a bunch of facilities uh, in our notification system that allows um, uh, applications to look alive to end users um, when they're not actually running. So, um, there's three types of notifications we support. Um, and I'll encourage people to watch the keynote again to see real examples of how this works. But the first type of notification is one where um, it updates the live tile on the start screen. Every application has the ability to have a live tile on the start screen. And we call them live tiles because they're alive. Um, the mm-hmm. phone is responsible for updating the content of those tiles and showing live application-specific information. And the way that the phone gets that information isn't from code running on the phone. It's via the notification service. Okay. So that's, the yeah. first, that's the first type of notification. The second type is one, we call them toast notifications because it's like a piece of toast popping up, although it pops down. So it's kind of fast <laughs> backwards. Yeah. But um, a little notification, no matter what app you're in on the phone, what experience you're in, um, a little piece of toast will pop down and say, hey, you know, the uh, um, the Los Angeles Galaxy just scored. Um, click here, and we'll start the Major League Soccer app. Um, and so if the user clicks on the notification, um, the Major League Soccer app will start up, and it has the most live information. And then the third type of notification is the one where an application is actually running in the foreground and it's able to receive notifications um, uh, via the via the notification system. Um, those those two things: one, the fact that we built in experiences that had that support background processing, and we've enabled this rich notification system that's extremely easy to code to, addresses the vast majority of user scenarios where a user would expect code to be running in the background. That said, this is not something that we're religious about, that we don't want to enable over time. It's something that we just didn't believe that we could nail in this release, and we want to get it right. If you think about what happened on other platforms where where um, uh, there, where background processes are supported, there's an entire cottage industry of uh, workarounds that have been created, um, you know, task manager apps and memory manager apps and task killing apps um, that just aren't um, a great user experience for the broad consumer market we're going after. Um, I have an anecdotal story I like to tell that, that makes my, my point on this. Back in November, um, I got my daughter a competitor's phone so I could do a little, you know, competitive analysis at home. She's 16 years old and typical, you know, 
socially aware teenage girl. Um, and um, we went into the, the, the mobile operator store and, and picked out a phone. And two days later, she came up to me, or a day later, she came up to me and said, Dad, we've got to return this phone. And I said, why? And she said, the battery keeps dying. It, the battery only lasts about three hours. And so I, I took the phone, I looked at it, and it turned out that she had downloaded via the marketplace on that phone a social networking app. And that app had been developed by its developer to run in the background because the platform provided that support. And, um, you know, you could say it's a bug in that application or, you know, poorly coded application. But from my daughter's perspective, um, the phone sucked. Right. Yeah, not even the app sucked. The phone sucked. That's right. And so so it gets even better. You know, a couple months later, so we fixed the problem, and, and you know, I, I, I tweaked the thing for her. Mm-hmm. A couple months later, I asked her, How's, how are you liking that phone? And she says, you know, I love it. It's a great phone. I said, oh, well, tell me about all the apps you're using, because, you know, that's my job at Microsoft, and I want to kind of know what's going on. And she says, oh, I don't use apps anymore. And I said, why? And she said, well, because the battery life sucks whenever I use them. And so she had no way of controlling this understanding other than just saying no. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, what we've decided in this release is we're going to get the experience we can control to work really, really well. We know how to enable background tasks over time. And, and when we have the chance to do it right, we will do it right. So the reality is the phone's perfectly capable of it. You're just trying to come up with a set of interfaces that keep it from impairing the, the phone experience. That's exactly right. So right now, you talked about notifications. So I mean, the reality is if I've, I've got an app that's effectively in the background, it's no longer consuming resources, so we keep the experience up, or it's minimizing its resource utilization. What kind of notifications can I get that will ultimately activate that app and have it respond? So what we've done is we've built a, a back-end service that we run that... Um, is as a very simple API to enable. You basically um, call into an API and it returns a URL to you. And that URL, from anywhere in the world, you can do an HTTP post to right. with a particular XML schema in it. And when you do that post, the content of that, of that post gets pushed via the notification service to the phone. There, and then there's an agent on the phone that, that via this, you know, this pipe that we've created that's highly efficient, both for network usage and battery usage. Right. Um, you know, decodes that message and then either updates the tile, causes a toast to pop out, or if your, if your application is in the foreground running, allows your application to, uh, you know, basically a delegate gets called. I mean, part of the challenge of this whole thing is it's a phone. So sometimes I have 3G, sometimes I have Edge, mm. sometimes I have Wi-Fi. Sometimes I have nothing. Right. So I guess the challenge here is what happens to the notification? Uh, you know, what is it transmitting over? Is it, it, is it going to work in all those scenarios? Does it get queued if I'm out of range? It, so the first thing is it, it does work over all the transports. Um, and it uses the, the, the uh, most efficient one it has, it, it has at its uh, disposal. It also is aware of the battery usage on the device. And if you're running low on battery, it's going to throttle even more aggressively. Right. Um, and then the last point is that it is not a guaranteed delivery uh, messaging system. Um, it is a, a best effort messaging system. And mm-hmm. so that means from your programming model perspective, as a developer, you have to be, you can't count on uh, the messages being guaranteed to be delivered. And so you're going to have to have a, you know, use it for notifications where um, that's okay, or you're going to have to augment that with other mechanisms of acting um, and so forth. Yeah, you're going to have to come up with a way to tolerate that you might drop a message. Sounds very UDP to me. And you said <laughs> all, all, all four major carriers are eventually going to work, that's going to work with them? In America? So we have we have we we have worldwide. We're working with carriers worldwide, worldwide in all regions, um, and we've announced some of those partnerships. Um, I don't have the details of them right here, and I don't want to misspeak. Um, right. But but our strategy basically is is in each major market um, uh, to have multiple carriers supporting the phone. Nice. See, that's what I like about Microsoft. You know, yeah, They're not locking us in. Giving us some choice. We got a choice of phones. We got a choice of carriers. I guess the challenge is always going to be connectivity behavior may vary from carrier to carrier and from location to location. Yeah. 
Kudos to you guys for that. Serious. Appreciate it. But but it's an interesting challenge to make an app reliable across those markets, especially if you're, you know, roaming. Well, that's all, that's always been what Microsoft's been good at though, you know, all the way going all the way back to supporting all those printers, you know, printer drivers. That was huge. You know, it's always been, Microsoft has always been about supporting all, all the hardware platforms. It's seemingly impossible task. And, and at some point in time, you have to, you, you do have to, you know, put some principles in place and some priorities in place so that you don't end up doing a, what I would call a peanut butter job where you spread your energy across way too many things. Yeah. And, you know, there's always a, a balance you have to draw there. Um, you know, in this release, we, we've done some things where we really, um, we really, uh, tried to make sure we have a clear customer focus a set of core principles that drove our behaviors, and then a set of priorities um, that we adhered to. Um, and that allows us to do a few things and do them really, really well, enabling us then to do more things over time. Um, what about Mac users? Will they be able to sync? Um, we actually have not talked about that yet. It's one of the things that, that we haven't uh, um, announced or, or had uh, um, any disclosure on. Okay. Uh, old Old applications? Old uh, Windows Phone applications, Windows Mobile. That that is something that we've been very clear on. Um, all Windows Phone Seven Series is a clean break from the past in terms of application compatibility. Okay. Um, prior Windows Mobile applications um, will need to be re-engineered to run Windows Phone Seven Series. If those applications were written using .NET technologies, mm-hmm. um, the, it is a it is you know relatively straightforward. You're going to have to redo your UI. Um, because we don't support WinForms, um, we only support either Silverlight or XNA. Um, but your business logic, your core plumbing, um, should move over very easily. It is a managed code only platform in this release, and that means that if you use, um, you know, native code DLLs or libraries, um, in order for those to run on Windows Phone 7 series, you're going to need to re-engineer those so that they're written using uh, uh, .NET. Yeah, that's to be expected. But the point is, you know, you can port a big chunk of your code here. You just have to redo your UI. Well, yeah, and especially if you've been listening in the last couple of years about separating your concerns and making different tiers, <laughs> then you should be okay. So, Charlie, uh, what comes next? I know it's been an absolute rush for you right now, that they, initially the hardware discussion and now getting into the dev story. But And I know you're on the road constantly, but what's what's next? next for me is I get to uh, go to Europe for a little bit here and, and do a bunch of uh, tech days and dev day presentations around Europe, um, which I'm really looking forward to. It's a, you know, um, um, a lot of really great people that I get to, I'll be able to talk to over the next couple of weeks. Um, but over the over this summer is when you know we, we will have rele- more releases of the dev tools um, for the phone as we as we release the you know the final release. Um, Working a lot with the, the, the developer ecosystem, both to make sure that we have not only a, a great collection of really, really phenomenal apps in each category, um, but also um, that we're driving towards enabling the breadth um, of of opportunities for end users through through developers building apps, um, and that you're know, really reaching a crescendo um, in the the launch time frame. And I'm going to be able to sync with my Exchange server. Yeah, the, our Exchange support in Windows Phone 7 Series is really good. It uh, supports multiple Exchange accounts, um, and you can also use um, Exchange in parallel with Windows Live or Gmail or Yahoo Mail, um, and there's others that we support as well, uh, all simultaneously, including multiple calendars, and we show the, the multiple calendars side-by-side side in the calendar experience. And can you give us an even tiny hint about a name better than Windows Phone 7 series. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, you know, I, suddenly I just got quiet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Please! Everybody seems to feel the pain at Microsoft, but nobody does anything about it. Uh, no. you, know, some, you know, the reality is something's going on behind the scenes that they can't talk about yet, and let's hope it's good. How about Flash? Uh, so... In this release of Windows Phone, uh, the one that comes out this year, uh, Flash will not be supported on the platform. Um, you know, just our general sentiment on Flash for, from a phone perspective is, is 
we take a, an end-user-focused approach, and we know that end-users want to visit websites in the browser that use Flash. Um, and so we want those users to have the best possible experience. And if we could have gotten Flash done in this, this release, um, uh, we would have made it happen. So uh, there, there will not be Flash in this release. But it's not out of the question. It's not out of the question. It's exciting. Yeah. You know, there's just the possibilities there. We've got so many different devices and ways that people build apps. Is it possible to bring it all together? So, um, you know, one, one thing that I wanted to, to make sure I threw out, um, just so everyone knows where we are today, um, you know, what we announced at Mix last week really was a, a release of the tools. And those tools include a version of Visual Studio 2010 that's focused on phone development, the emulator, XNA Game Studio 4.0, and a version of Microsoft Expression Blend for Windows Phone development. And our intent is that all of those tools are available to developers in one download, one installation, and they will be free. And I could be using Studio Express for this, too, so I don't even have to buy the development environment. That's correct. If you, if you don't have any Visual Studio already and you go download this, you'll get everything you need to build Windows Phone applications. Now, if you already have a professional version of Visual Studio 2010 or Expression Blend, then this download will just act as an add-in to those. So, uh, our friend Andrew Brust, who writes the uh, Redmond Diary for Visual Studio Magazine, noted that the browser looks nice, but what he didn't see was the text re-justifying to the current screen width after a zoom. After you zoom in, does that is that uh, something that you're looking to do, or do, is that just an old article? <laughs> so the the the, um, the user experience that's on the phone now that people have within the emulator is early bits. We're still working on it. All right, fair so, enough. Um, you know, there's there's you know there'll be dragons there. <laughs> okay. Well, the, the relationship browsers in general on the phone are very challenging. Uh, and for example, in theory, I should be able to run Silverlight on the browser. Do you do that on a Win Seven phone, or is it Silverlight in its own mode on the phone? Yeah, oh, the, the model for for this release is Silverlight is part of the application platform for building applications and games on the phone. Right. Um, we don't actually we won't actually support Silverlight in the browser in this release. And, it, and I could just see that avoiding the whammy of going to a web page that's got a Silverlight 3 app on it, and what happens then? Yeah, well, if, what, if, what about if I just want to watch a video that's streaming with Silverlight? Will it open up a separate app? In this release, Silverlight within the browser will not work. Okay. Fair enough. And, and just like I said earlier, Flash won't work either. Right. But that's something we do want to uh, enable in the future. Yeah, of course. Yeah, just getting the browser to be uh, desktop capabilities, essentially, in a phone, I think is an interesting challenge. Wow, fantastic. Well, I'm going to go ahead and install these tools that I downloaded here. Now, you said it, it uh, the tools that are available online here for developing, th this installs a special version of Visual Studio 2010, so you, it's not like something that plugs into any beta or... You already have Visual Studio 2010 RC installed. When you run the package you just downloaded, it will add in as an add-in um, the ability to build Windows Phone applications. And if it's not installed, it will install it. It will to take care of installing the whole deal. All right, cool. Sounds awesome. I man, I can't wait. This is very exciting. And the site is uh, developer.windowsphone.com. That's right, and. Uh, you know, pay attention, like subscribe to our blog, and there's two blogs. One is mine, my own personal blog, um, which is uh, blogs.msdn.com slash cKindle, um, as well as the Windows Phone uh, developer blog on um, windowsteamblogs.com. All right, great. Charlie? Yep, and I'm also pretty active on Twitter as cKindle. Yeah, the banter's been going back and forth during the show. Yeah, <laughs> been watching it. All right, excellent. Thank you, Charlie. All right. And uh, good luck with the phone. I, I can't wait, like I said. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity, guys. I enjoyed the experience. Excellent. And we'll see you, dear listener, next time on Dotnet Rocks.
.NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC Yes, I'm a, a top